1: Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com/slash/CyberWire. Spies like Apache Struts exploits. We've got some server vulnerabilities described. A new cryptojacker steals at least four varieties of cryptocurrency. North Korea may have hacked UN sanctions enforcers. Dutch intelligence and Microsoft warn of cyber war, but it's not a declared war which makes response harder. We've got an update to the PACRAT defense, with considerations of mens rea, ISIS terror inspiration, and a possible assassination attempt. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Summary for Wednesday, March seventh, 2018. Security firm Quick Heal reports Chinese and Russian operators are showing a continued interest in Apache Struts exploits. Patching is strongly advised and patches are available. Another vulnerability affects servers. The XM message transfer agent is susceptible to buffer overflow bugs. Security consultants at DevCorp, which described the issue, recommends XM users upgrade to version 4.90.1. Palo Alto Networks reports finding a new multifunctional cryptojacker in the wild, Combojack steals Bitcoin, Litecoin, Monero, and Ethereum by replacing a wallet's legitimate address with the attackers. North Korea's online operations are famous for having proceeded from vandalism to lucrative cybercrime, but their role in espionage shouldn't be discounted. Pyongyang cyber operators are said to have hacked the UN panel responsible for administering economic sanctions leveled against the DPRK. The UN panel of experts, which routinely reviews attempts to bypass international sanctions through smuggling and other means, says it was subjected to a state-sponsored attack from an unspecified state. That unspecified state, widely and obviously suspected on a priori grounds to be North Korea, was apparently interested in measures being undertaken to facilitate clandestine trade with the DPRK. Much more than that, the heavily redacted report doesn't say, but it does indicate that the attack vector was spearfishing by email. When looking for cybersecurity tools, it's natural to consider the technology under the hood, but it's also important to take into account how the people using that technology interact with it. A well-designed user interface can be the difference between an efficient tool and a frustrating one. Sylvain Gill is co-founder at Exabeam, a provider of security intelligence and management tools, and I recently spoke with him about the relationship between design and security.
2: We're sort of constantly trying to understand what our users are dealing with on a daily basis, kind of the problems they're facing. And before we think of a technology we put out on the market, uh, we really just, you know, go through a a fairly rigorous design process to try to, you know, uh, empathize with these users and their problems. And when we come up with solutions, I think often these solutions decide what features we're going to be adding to the product uh, and also even sometimes what products we're going to be releasing or not releasing, you know, based on, you know, but that, the, the, the outcomes of the design process.
1: You know, you make the point that um, there's, there could be a generational thing at play here, that uh, millennials, uh, they're looking to interact with the machines perhaps in a different way than some of us old timers are.
2: You know, I don't think it's a generational thing necessarily, but I think it's very important to, to, I think, uh, recognize the fact that everybody has technology in their hands nowadays. And, and, you know, I've been in the information security industry now for a couple decades. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like we have a big, you know, talent problem where there's just not enough trained practitioners out there. And and if we're trying to be inclusive, kind of bring people in their, you know, in our world, we have to make the learning curve a little bit easier for these folks that are coming from the outside and in general even if you're a security expert a ninja uh, it shouldn't be too complicated to use your security tools so what we're trying to do i think often is just to attach to a pattern in a in terms of interactions user experience that people are familiar with probably the best example of that in, in a and one of Exabeam's products is how we show user activities in a timeline that's very similar to the, the timeline you would see in Facebook, for example. And that was, on, you know, that was really something we did on purpose.
1: Try to give them something that perhaps they're familiar with from a different context.
2: Yeah, every time, you, every, every time we're able to mimic an interaction, the interaction of a consumer type of software, uh, and, and even better if it's kind of like a mobile experience that people get to use every day, that means that we do not need to train our end users on how to use that specific feature in our products.
1: Do you find you, you get any resistance to this sort of thing? I, I'm thinking specifically that um, I think for some people in cybersecurity, uh, you know, stepping up in front of a command line is almost a point of pride.
2: That, that's right. I think what we've what what we've had to deal with early on at Exabeam is the the fact that even though we had a very you know you could say clean UI, clean design, very simple, you know usability of the product, uh, that simplicity actually at some point came to hurt us, where people th- thought that the technology was too simple, that you know there was just you know, not enough under the hood uh, in the machine learning engine and the analytics capabilities because, you know, the, the, the outside actually almost looked too good. Um, so that's something we had to deal with, you know, more in terms of messaging, positioning, and we had to educate a little bit about the advanced aspects of what we do uh, because, well, in some way, the, the clean design that looks like a consumer tool may not reveal all the sophistication that we've put on the, the back end.
1: So it sounds like you're really making the case that um, paying attention to these details, sweating the details when it comes to design
2: can lead to safer outcomes it does i think it, it it's safer outcomes it's easier adoption uh, you know a lot of times when you deal with uh, at, at least you know a facet of what we do at, at exabeam is around uh, detection uh, people have a lot of i think you know, concerns with machine learning. And, and I think one of those is actually a trust concern. It's something that's a very normal human feeling. You know, you have a computer telling you, I think this is good or bad. And it's really through a design process that you can kind of break down that problem into little tidbits where you can sort of fight the feeling where if you're not trusting what we are going to output, uh, we're going to give you ways to get to that trust level. You're going to be able to have checks and balances so you're not you know, left with a black box that tells you your name. That's
1: Sylvan Gill from Exabeam. Dutch intelligence services report that state-directed cyber-espionage has risen significantly. Microsoft's president says we're witnessing a level of activity in cyberspace consistent with active warfare. But one problem, of course, for any concerned with legality and authority, is that the US and Russia, to take the two biggest antagonists, aren't at war. President Trump and Director of National Intelligence Coates say the U.S. is fully determined to stop Russia or anyone else from interfering with midterm elections. But DNI Coates points out that, absent a state of war and absent other new authority from Congress to act, the intelligence community is constrained in its responses in ways that Russian security and intelligence services are not. The government's Espionage Act prosecution of former NSA contractor Hal Martin continues to face difficulties, Politico reports. The defense argues that Mr. Martin was unlikely to have known about the specific 20 documents specified in the indictment. After all, he is said to have been a pack rat, and the charges under the Espionage Act would seem to require that he knew what he had. Federal District Court Judge Marvin Garbus, who's hearing the case, is skeptical. The prosecution argues that as long as Martin knew he was doing something wrong, he had the necessary mens rea for a conviction. Martin's defense attorney, Debbie Boardman, argued that the government theory would raise mere petty theft to the level of espionage. She posed a hypothetical. Suppose she were at a meeting at Fort Meade and pilfered a stack of notepads with the NSA's Eagle and Key logo on them. Then suppose one of the pages on one of the pads in the stack had something classified written on it and she didn't know that. I'd be guilty under the Espionage Act, she said. Well... We don't know about you, but we'd be mighty careful at RSA about taking home any swag being offered at the NSA booth. Who knows what might be in it? The pack rat defense being mounted in a Baltimore courtroom has an almost operatic quality to it. But other cases of espionage and terrorism are decidedly serious. Two sad incidents serve as reminders that more than ever, there's a lethal intersection of the informational and the kinetic. In the first, ISIS is using a video that purports to show the deaths of U.S. special operations personnel during an ambush in Niger. The caliphate has entered its terrorist diaspora phase. No longer able to maintain pretenses to governing, ISIS returns to its familiar online playbook of depraved inspiration. The U.S. Department of Defense, which continues its investigation of the ambush, is said to see any viewing or mention of the video as objectively providing support to ISIS. But it would seem important for people to understand what the terrorist organization sees as its core message. It's an ugly one. And in the UK, police and intelligence organizations are treating the poisoning of a former Russian intelligence officer and his daughter as attempted assassinations. Sergei Skripal, aged 66, and his daughter Yulia, aged 33, collapsed at a shopping center in Salisbury after having been exposed to an unknown substance. The Times of London reports. Both are in critical condition, undergoing treatment in a hospital. Ten other people, bystanders and first responders, were also affected, and one of them remains hospitalized. The agent involved in the apparent poisoning is unknown. Skripal, who had been an officer in Russia's GRU, was arrested and convicted of passing information to Britain's MI6. He was released to the UK in a 2010 spy swap arrangement. If Russian security services did indeed, as it seems, try to kill him and his daughter, this would appear to be the first time an exchanged spy had been so targeted. We wish all involved comfort and recovery. Russian officials, of course, deny any involvement. ...so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps... And joining me once again is Chris Poulin. He's the Director of Connected Product Security at Booz Allen Hamilton. Chris, welcome back. Um, today, you wanted to touch on some issues with uh, things like physical security, some of these next-generation
0: systems
1: that take on tasks that were typically human tasks, things like security guards, things like that. But what do you have to tell us today?
0: So it's interesting. I've been, do, I've been talking to some um, customers who are asking questions about how... Is it, well, let me back up. So you think about think about the IoT as being typical devices that we're used to using and then connecting them to the internet. Mm. And so people characterize that as being sort of a physical, uh, digital combination. And so if you flip it around on its head to a certain extent, uh, physical security is actually coming up more and more in conversations that I have with clients about how to build out physical security systems. So, for example, there was a client who is going to be building a parking garage Uh, they're building a new facility and they're adding a parking garage to it. And it's going to be in the middle of a city where their employees have been used to being out on the outskirts where they feel a little bit safer, you know, suburban versus urban settings. Right. And so what they, the, um, the employees want to feel secure when they park their car and get out. So, everything from the entry systems to try to prevent, you know, some sort of attacker from a physical attacker from being able to get into the uh, garage and then hide behind some of the cars and, and assault them as they're walking towards the entrance. Um, and, so, you know, and that's their primary concern about the physical being. I mean, there's also theft of the cars themselves or the contents of the cars and things like that. So um, one of the interesting things is how can you outfit physical security with things that are IoT devices? Hmm. And so one example would be, and anybody who's been around smart cities knows that lighting is ubiquitous. And so a lot of times sensors are placed, um, a a multitude of sensors are placed within lighting systems. So the same thing can happen in a garage where there are audio sensors that listen for gunshots or even, for example, they can listen for somebody who just sort of says help at voice level, Hmm. uh, normal speaking voice. And then the different microphones can triangulate exactly where they are and automatically recognize that as a trigger word and contact security guards who can then respond quickly and and directly to where that person is physically, presumably being assaulted or at least feeling threatened. Um, so that might be one instance, um, a little bit more on the nose, I suppose, is that there are security guards who wander around, right? And, right. um, you can actually supplant that with more security guards because the opportunity for an attacker is to, you know, profile the, uh, path and the timing of the security guards. And there's only so certain amount of People that you can put on the job, but instead of having those uh, those security guards that you always read about in the news who look like something out of RoboCop and have some sort of a laser weapon attached to their arm, right. um, you can instead have small robots, you know, about two three feet high that just roll around, and they're affordable enough that you can have many of them, and you reduce that that opportunity between the time that they're actually wandering around. So even though they might not be able to do anything like attack the attacker um, they still the fact that there's something moving and presumably watching over it has two has a twofold effect it can deter the attackers it can also make the employees feel safer in a place like a parking garage
1: and i suppose part of it is that uh, the bad guys don't necessarily know what the capabilities of that device are they just see it moving around and they don't know if it can chase them down or take a picture of them or what
0: Exactly. And plus, by the way, there's all kinds of interesting things you could do with it. If it's if it's short, it can see under cars, so it actually reduces the uh, hiding spaces for attackers in the first place. So, yeah, so to your point, they don't know whether or not that thing can actually detect heat, which you could probably outfit them, infrared sensors. There's the unknown, and then there's, uh, I think, just a little bit of the psychological aspect of it as well. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. All right,
1: Chris Poulin, thanks for joining us. Thank you.